You know, when you pick up a Bible and you start to read a Bible, there are lots of ways, actually, to read a Bible. Sometimes when you pick it up, people read it like a history book. And when you read it like a history book, you kind of look at it in terms of, well, who are the people and what was their lifestyle like and what was going on with the nations. And so you read it in a sense that it that gives you information. And that is one way to read the Bible as a way to, to gain information. Some people read the Bible like a book of wisdom. And so when they pick up the Bible, what they're going to do is they're going to look at the Bible and they're going to say, you know what, I'm going to look at it for, for some principles, some good principles about how to live life. Because really, you know, the Bible does hold some teachings and some truths that, that we say, you know, if you live life like this, this will, this will really help you out. It will really bless you. And so some people read the Bible and what they're looking for is instruction. Some people read the Bible and when you pick it up, you say, you know, I pick it up because I need to be picked up. Because the Bible has some great scriptures in it, you know, some great verses in it, and you, and you read about them, and you say, you know, God so loves the world, He gives His only begotten Son, and I tell you, that lifts me up every time I read that verse, or, you know, God's at work in all things for good for those who love the Lord. And, you know, just some verses, and you read them, and you, you're, you know, you, you read it for inspiration, because it picks you up. And, and all those are good ways to read the Bible, all of them. But I want to share with you this morning, when you start to read the scripture, particularly when you start to get into the New Testament, particularly when you start to get into the Gospels, which is the story of the life of Christ, the writers of the Gospels don't write simply for information, and they don't write simply for instruction, and they don't write simply for inspiration. I believe that when they write, they write for conclusion. They write for conviction. I believe that when they write, they have a point that they want to make, and they want us to embrace that point. And the point is the verse that comes out of the centurion's mouth when we hear him speak at the foot of the cross today. The point is this. Truly, truly, Jesus is the Son of God. Truly, this man is God's Son. That's the conclusion that the gospel wants to bring us to. That's the conviction that the gospel wants us to have, is to look at the cross and say, truly, this is God's Son. And the gospel kind of starts out in this way. What it does is it brings that conclusion forward from the very beginning. All through the life of Jesus, Jesus does things that no one else can do. You know, Jesus comes along, he sees someone who's sick, he goes over and he heals them. Jesus finds himself in the middle of the storm on the sea, and he gets out of the boat, calms the waters, walks across the sea. Jesus has people come to him that are possessed by demons, and he casts out the demons, you know? Jesus raises people from the dead. Jesus does all these kinds of things that, that no one else can do to lead us into the conclusion that surely this is the Son of God. And what we do is we don't take any of those individually. We take them as a corpus. We take them as a body of evidence. And we, we see how they build up to a conclusion, uh, to a culmination. And the conclusion, the culmination that the Gospels lead us into is this. That Jesus does something that it's not simply that no one else can do. Jesus does something that every one of us Jesus does something that, that all of us do. Jesus dies. 
That's the culmination. That's the conclusion of all that you see. Jesus dies. And he dies, you know, in a way that no one else wants to. I mean, some people have, but no one wants to die the way that Jesus died. And rejected and ridiculed, publicly shamed, saying on the cross, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? You know, with people gambling for his last possessions at his feet and a sign over his head saying, Hail, the King of the Jews. You know, no one wants to die like that. And, and really, when you begin to think about it, people of his day and even people of our day look at that and say, you know what, the cross, it's craziness. It's absolutely crazy to think that the way you're going to go ahead and show yourself as the Son of God is to die like that. It is craziness. It just kinda, it's just kind of nuts. In fact, the Apostle Paul says himself, it's the foolish, the cross is the foolishness of God. And that voice is brought forward in the scripture this morning. The witness to that is brought forward this morning in the voices of the Pharisees, in the voices of the religious leaders. They say, they say very ironic things. You know, he can't save others. Well, he did save others. He can't save himself. Why doesn't he come down from the cross and, and show us? And when he does that, surely he will, we will believe that he is the Son of God. And so they're kind of arguing, you know, if he really is the Son of God, the way he can really demonstrate that for us is be kind of this holy Houdini. You know? Now here we can go. We can just, you know, he'll pop out the nails. He'll, he'll take off the thorns. He'll throw it down. He'll climb off the cross. Or maybe better yet, and we see this in the scripture, he'll pray to God. And what God will do is send somebody down from heaven and... You know, it'd be Elijah or somebody, and they'll take him off the cross, they'll set him up, they'll put him up in glory, and that will show to us, that will prove to us that he is the Son of God, that will surely show that to us. And so that's the argument that's brought forward, is that's the way to demonstrate that you're the Son of God. And then there's one lone voice, and the one lone voice is the voice of the centurion. And... You know, centurions are Roman soldiers, and centurions have watched a lot of people die. You know, in battle, they have watched a lot of people die. And I, you know, think that, you know, as you look at this particular centurion, and you see him carrying out his job uh, in this today in the scripture, that this was a guy that not only watched a lot of people die in battle, this is a guy that watched a lot of people die in crosses. Because that's what Romans did. You know, when you kind of crossed up with Rome, they kind of made a public example out of you and stuck you on a cross and stuck you on the roadside so no one else tried to do what you, what you just tried to do. That's, that's how they did things. And so the centurion is there, you know, as somebody who's watched a lot of people die, and I think he's also there as a coroner. And for me, what, you know, what a coroner does is he's the one that pronounces the person dead. And so the way I envision it is kind of he's, he's sitting there, he's at the foot of the cross, and he's watching Jesus die. And as he gets to the end, that he's supposed to make this pronouncement. And the pronouncement is, he's dead. And instead, as you and I read the gospel, that's not the pronouncement, is it? That's not what he says. What he says is surely this is the Son of God. That's the pronouncement. That's the lone voice. Surely this is the Son of God. He's the first person in the scripture convinced by the cross. 
Jesus is who he says he is. He's the first person that experiences what we in the faith talk about as the power of the cross. Because when he's at the foot of that cross, and then when he's watching Jesus at that cross, something begins to happen in his heart where he begins to know, he begins to understand that the cross is not about crucifixion, but that the cross is about compassion. That the cross is about compassion, and the reason Jesus didn't save himself is because he couldn't save himself and, he, and save others. And so what he chose to do was he chose to save others. And, you know, the real miracle of the cross is not that Jesus didn't come down. The real miracle of the cross is that Jesus decided to stay up. That Jesus decided to stay on the cross. And that death is not an end to life, that death is a means of love. And so the centurion, you know, all that starts to, I think, kind of move in his heart to come to the realization, to come to the conclusion, to come to the conviction, to come to the conviction that truly this is the Son of God. And what the scripture invites you and me to do is to come to the same conclusion and to come into the same conviction. I think that's why the writer... You know, brings forward the proclamation to have us come to that same place in our hearts, in our lives, where we look at the cross and we say, surely in the cross and in his power, I begin to understand the fullness of the love of God for my life and for all life, that surely Jesus is the Son of God. And the beautiful thing, part of the beauty of the witness in the scripture this morning, is you don't have to be religious to do that. I mean, when you look at the centurion, he, he was not a religious guy. I'll let you run. You know, the Pharisees and the scribes and all the other people, they were, they were religious. But you don't have to be religious to come to that conclusion. You don't have to be. You don't have to have all these amazing experiences, or, you know, all these religious happenings in your life to come to that conclusion. The centurion had, had none of that. What he had was a cold hard fact. Jesus died. He had a cold heart fact. And what he had were two words of faith. And that's what I'd invite us to have. One cold heart fact and two words of faith. Cold heart fact, Jesus died. But two words of faith for me. Jesus died for me. Can you say that with me? Jesus died. See, friends, what happens is when you come to the foot of the cross and you come in, into that realization, that's kind of the core of salvation. That's where we begin to understand where salvation kind of springs out of Jesus died for me. And then when we take that same cold heart fact, Jesus died, we put in just another two words of faith. Jesus died not only for me, Jesus died for all, then we're talking not only salvation, we're also talking mission. We're talking the purpose of the church. We're talking, you know, this is what we do in our life together is understand that the life, the love that God has for me in Jesus Christ and you in Jesus Christ, God has for everyone in Jesus Christ. And that gives us a purpose that we share together with the children who are before us this morning and all of God's children we found all around us. The cold hard fact, the two words. 
You see, what happens is the cross brings us into these two conclusions, these two parts of the conviction. The first part of the conviction is we have a God who goes all the way for us. In the cross, what we have is a God who goes all the way for us. See, the ultimacy of love, and you and I know this, is not simply what we're willing to live for. The ultimacy of love is what we're willing to die for. And so we see brave women and men who go out and serve our country and they sacrifice. And we talk about how they serve and how they sacrifice because they love our country. And we talk about love that, that we share, not only for country, sometimes much closer to home, for family. You know, one of the devotions that we had this last week, and Paula, thank you for the devotion this last week. She was reflecting on what it meant to say that uh, Jesus commands us to love one another even as Jesus loved us. And that commandment is, Jesus says, no greater love is anyone than this, and they lay down their lives for their friends. And so as you reflect it, and I think you just, you know, we all join in with you on that. Was, you know, when we think about our kids, we think about our families, we lay down ourselves for them. Yeah, yeah. It's part of love. See, what happens is when you come to talk about what it means to ultimately love. It means to be willing to give your life away for the ones you love. And what we see in the cross is we have a God who goes all the way for us. And the second thing we see in the cross, we have a God who goes all the way with us. Because when you look at the life of Christ, what you see is, you know, as you open up the Gospels, there he's born, there he's a kid, there he, you know, shares in all the things that you and I do. It says in the scriptures, he's just like us, but without sin. So he does all the things that we do, and he comes all the way down to the end of life, and as he comes all the way down to the end of life, you see all the wonderful things that he's done and all the wonderful ways that he's touched people. You also see at the very end all the things that he goes through as he suffers. And he does suffer, and he is ridiculed. And he does feel forsaken. And all those things where we think to ourselves, in those moments of life, God's not with me. I mean, the whole point, I think, of the Gospels and saying all that is for us to know that right in those moments, that's indeed when God is with us. He goes all the way in Jesus Christ with us. With us all the way. I did a funeral this past week for Dolly Ockerstrom, member of our Beacons class. One of the phrases that Dolly kind of carried around in her back pocket, uh, and she would pull it out and she would use it often, was this phrase, Jesus is with me. And she learned it as a little girl in Sunday school, and she just carried it with her, and she would just kind of bring it out. You know, she's afraid, Jesus is with me. She's happy, Jesus is with me. I mean, just kind of, you know, she played that phrase. She carried that around with her. And as she carried that around with her, it gave her strength. It gave her a sense of blessing. It just, it just blessed her life. And even in the moments of her death, even in the moments of her death, her daughter was with us in those, with her in those moments. And her daughter was repeating those words to her mother in those moments. Jesus is with me. She was saying the words that Dolly herself said. Jesus is with me. Even in the moments of my death, Jesus is with me. Your friends, when you know that, when you have that conviction, it just brings us just amazing blessing, strength, even into those very difficult moments. A God who goes all the way for us, a God who goes all the way with us. And 
like Diane, like you said, what happens when you begin to have those conviction about all that, what it does is it pulls away a curtain. I mean, you ever stand in front of a window and you got the curtain in front of the window and you, man, you pull the curtain back and you pull the curtain back, you see this view. And what happens here, it's not simply, as the scripture says, it's not simply that we're pulling the curtain in half, is that we're ripping the curtain in half. It's torn in two, not just simply open, it is ripped from top to bottom. You gave a wonderful explanation. Hope you all caught that up and remember that because I'm not going to do it again right now, but it is from top to bottom. It's God opening it up. And when God opens it up, just like you said, Diane, what happens is what was holy and what was human all makes us. There's no longer any separation between the sacred and the secular. What happens is the divine comes into the midst of the life of the world, and so life in the world begins to take on just this depth and this sacredness and this quality that life wouldn't have if if it wasn't for God in the midst of every moment of life. And so we can live life as precious, and we can live life as sacred, and we can live life in a, on a totally kind of different level. It's different than self and self-interest. What we can do is we can live life in ways that we say, you know what? We are sharing in a working of God in the midst of our own lives and in the midst of those that we love. It's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's a larger life. It's a life where we understand that love shapes lives. And when you love and when I love, we shape the lives of people around us. And we shape our lives. And that's what Jesus did on that cross. He shaped our lives into that shape. The power of the cross. The power of love. The power that we get to receive. The power that we get to live. Give. What the gospel writer wants us to do is to come to that conclusion come into that conviction. Surely, surely, Jesus is the Son of God. You know, it's been said that that the cross is the action of God waiting for our decision. That the cross is the action of God awaiting your decision, awaiting my decision. And our, our final hymn celebrates that, how that works. It says, I hear my Savior calling. I hear my Savior calling. I hear my Savior calling from the cross. The writers of that, from the cross, I hear my Savior calling. And the end of the hymn, the last verse, wraps up like this. I'll go with him. I'll go with him all the way. I tell you, the action of God, your decision, my decision. Son of God. It's in your name that we give you thanks. It's